Thank you guys so much. Oh, let's have a party tonight. Thanks. Thanks to thank the worship team. These guys are amazing. Wow. Jesus, you know. If you want an open heaven, <clears throat> there's many ways to establish an open heaven, you know, worship, signs and wonders, generosity, and one of the the greatest is honor. And uh, where honor sometimes costs you. Not sometimes, it, it usually does. It costs you something. And, you know, it's, it's amazing to know. I've known of you guys and Kim and Tim uh, for really about 10 years. I've, I've been hearing about what God is doing in this community through several friends, uh, Jeremy Miranda Nelson, Jamie Galloway, Will Hart. And so it really has been a privilege when I first came here in 2017 and and then uh, Robbie, who was here this morning with his uh, two bundles of joy from uh, Manly, and uh, he was my intern in 2015 to 16. So he would constantly tell me about Mama Kim, that 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 it was this, you know, she was a spiritual mentor, uh, a place to to connect, a place to you know really grow in wisdom and maturity, and it was uh, just amazing to hear secondhand where there really is an establishment of a father and mother spiritually, not just for Gosford, but for Australia. And really has been an honor and a privilege to be here this weekend. And, you know, one thing that I love is, you know, this is who I am. I'm a, I'm a surfer. You know, I, I grew up in Huntington Beach. Uh, I, I, I encounter God at the beach. This ministry I've been doing has brought me to the beach so much in the last two years. But uh, it has been a privilege hanging out with all of the surfers. You know, that it's, uh, we're, we're a tribe. And uh, we, we have our own language. We have our own deal. And so it's just been a, a real special time for me personally. And so... You know, thank you so much, and I would love it if we just pray for Kim and Tim. You know, let's start the night off by just honoring and and blessing uh, Kim and Tim. So just just stretch out your hands, and Tim, I heard the Lord say that he's giving you a band of brothers this whole weekend. I've been just feeling this, this thing of intercession and just hearing Band of brothers, band of brothers, and I really feel like this Malachi 4-6 anointing that's on your life, that it's the father's hearts that turn towards the children, and then the children's hearts turn towards the fathers, and, and I felt like it was prophetic that you and I and Eunice took a walk. You know, you walked more than me, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but it was a, I felt like it was so prophetic that you were with the young adults walking with them. That it was really amazing to watch that coffee shop and you kind of be in your element. And I was like, whoa, there is such a, a fathering that's coming to a whole nother level. And I feel like it's, 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 it, I really have felt like it's in the hiking. 
that you're going to go and take and mentor the next generation uh, in, in the bush, but also also young men. There's something about a band of brothers and, and raising up the men in this region that uh, I just see you just being a father to many. And that even being a father to some people that are just a couple years younger than you, that, that it's not an age thing, that, uh, that you're going to be a, a voice, uh, a covering, a, a place of support, a place of cheering on to many. And we just release that, that there would be even strategies on, on how to take the land. Like there is a, this whole thing of hiking, and you know, I know that you've done all these crazy bushwalks and the whole deal, but like there is something about that Joshua 1-3 anointing that's on your life and the different assignments that you've done to New Guinea and Kilimanjaro and the whole thing. And I feel like there is another season that it's almost like uh, it hasn't maybe happened as much this last you know few years, but I feel like there's a wooing and an uptick to be intentional about inviting uh, those around you in this community to take the land together. That Joshua 1-3, wherever my feet tread, uh, the Lord will give us that land as our inheritance. And so I, I see you passing the baton. To, 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 uh, to young men, to, you know, the, um, the sons and daughters, but also to the granddaughters and grandsons, that there is a repositioning that you've come out of in the last five years of being a patriarch to another level of establishment. And, and I just see you around a campfire and just like everyone, that you're, you have the ability to disarm people. You have the ability to break religion and to create environments where there's vulnerability. There is, I see you around campfires, and I see you actually blessing like a patriarch would do. There's something about a verbal blessing. I see you around campfires, and you laying hands, and there being a moment of blessing, a moment of passing the baton, a moment of releasing that blessing over, over those around you. And so, Lord, just wrecked him in this season. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that there's going to be special times with his grandkids, uh, special times, special times, special times. And so, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that he is a patriarch in this community. And, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for Kim. We thank you, Lord, for the heart of gold. We thank you, Lord, for the wisdom, the strategies from heaven, the, the, the apostolic and the prophetic convergence, that there is a hybrid office anointing of apostleship and the prophetic that's all over her, and that there is something of the, the word that I kept on getting was convergence, 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 that there is a compounding that is going to release a momentum in the spirit, and I feel like the Lord is going to begin to build bridges to other cities, to other uh, apostolic leaders and prophetic leaders, and that you're going to be a safe place, a safe place for the next generation. And I use that word with Tim, baton pass. And in order to have a successful baton pass in the Olympics for the relays, that they cannot be standing still waiting for the baton to be passed, that to have a successful baton pass, there is a need to run together. 
And so we thank you that Kim is going to be one that runs together with the millennials, with the Gen Zers, that there is a baton pass anointing, that she is going to teach other leaders that, that, that and how to pass the baton in a right way. There's almost like a strategy, and I, and I see leaders where they feel like they are... Um, they don't know how to baton pass. And there's something about you teaching leaders, fathers and mothers, on how to empower, how to raise up sons and daughters. And I feel like the Lord is even going to give you a download of writing where you're going to begin to write. And I feel like it's almost like I feel like this is a word that actually started during COVID, that the Lord has been wooing you and giving you a grace to write, and that there is uh, there is a, um, a another level of momentum, another level of rain, of revelation in the areas of writing, but this is a confirming word. This isn't just the first word. This is a word that the Lord has been brewing in, 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 your, in your spirit, and Lord, we just release the anointing to write. We release the anointing to write over her, that there is strategies, there's blueprints, there is impartation in writing, and it will be connected to her, her inheritance, and that, that she is one that is empowering the church to walk in this place of fathering and mothering. And I'm so reminded of a dream that I had in 2017, where I uh, came into a room where Jesus was on on his knees washing people's feet and he was wooing for me to come over to him and I saw the backs of, of these people's heads so I didn't see their faces or their age and I went around and I knelt down next to Jesus and I suddenly saw that Jesus was washing the feet of baby boomers, of Gen, Gen Xers, of millennials and Gen Zers and then Jesus looked at me and he opened his mouth and out of his mouth came out a rainbow and I read in the rainbow that I am revealing myself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he's healing the generations. And I thank you, Lord, that these guys have established a partnership, an example of what it looks like to be equally yoked in marriage. And, Lord, that they would release a generational inheritance where there's been an attack on families, there's been an attack on fathers and mothers, Lord, that they would begin to carry an anointing that breaks the yoke of the enemy, that there would be wholeness in families. But, Lord, that this has been something I've been praying in for days, that they have an anointing to bring the prodigals home. And we just release that in the atmosphere. And Kim, I see you decreeing in your living room that bring home the prodigals, bring home the lost ones, and you're even calling them by name, and that we just decree and we prophesy that this next season, over the next few months, that prodigals would begin to come home, and we agree with this assignment, we agree with this mandate, that it isn't just with them, but it is on this house. So, Lord, we agree, bring the prodigals home. Bring home the sons and daughters that there is no shame, there is no condemnation, that you've got, went and partied and, and you've ended up in the pigsty, that we will come and, and join with the Father and we will celebrate you coming home. And we just say those that are out there, 
that, that feel like they're around the outside looking in, that they feel like they've squandered the inheritance, that they would know that they will be celebrated in this house. It's safe to come home. Amen. And I feel like this is a word over this house and a word over Kim. Uh, I was uh, in Southern California with Jared, uh, this guy over here uh, from Tasmania. Him and his two boys came down and we paddled together and prayed and took out Afghan refugees out surfing and prayed for them on the beach. And we got to see homeless people getting saved. We had, we had one guy after a prayer paddle uh, in Venice, he, or Santa Monica, he looks at us at like it's Taco Tuesday. That's what we have in America. We do these Taco Tuesday deal. And, uh, but we're outside, and this guy goes, have you had your spiritual awakening yet? Like, he came to us and pointed at me and said, have you had your spiritual awakening yet? And I'm like, yeah, I have one every day, you know. And, and, then, and then he started talking about his, and then he gets radically saved. But here's the deal is the point is, is, is Mexico. We went and paddled in Mexico, and, uh, and on the border bridge or the border wall that shoots into the ocean that separates America and Mexico, I saw this eagle. And this eagle was molting. When an eagle is molting, it uh, can be sickly, it can be losing feathers, and it's going through a molting season where as it presses through, they get you know, more beautiful feathers, and also they get stronger. But I saw this uh, eagle on the wall, and I heard the voice of God that there are so many prophetic ones that are going through a molting season and to take courage to keep stewarding your assignment. That to not be discouraged, to not be, oh, you know, I don't know if I should stay in this assignment. Look what's happening. I don't feel good. I've got all these lists of excuses. But I just heard the Lord press into me that it's all about stewardship, that, that you would know that this is just a season. And I feel like that this is something that Kim is going to help the next generation of eagles and eaglets that, hey, when you go through a molting season, take courage because you're going to get new feathers. You're going to get even stronger so that you could fly higher and further than before. But that she is a mom that helps eagles learn to fly. That this is a house that's safe to fly. And, you know, sometimes the mom eagle has to actually kick the, the kids out of the nest to take courage to do what you were called to do. And that is so on Kim is in that place of that is love. Don't stay in like, you know, God's presence is the safest place, but that doesn't translate to being comfortable. You were born to fly. You were born to go places that no one else has ever gone before. And it's amazing when you have a mom that's saying, hey, it's time to fly. But also that she is one that brings courage and understanding of your seasons. There is a discernment anointing on her for discerning the seasons and discerning, hey, it's time. You've been in the nest long enough. It's time to fly. And so, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that this is a place where you can fly, that you could fly higher and further. 
And so, Lord, we just pray for anyone that's gone through a season, especially in the last three years, where you feel like you have a prophetic call and you feel like you've gone through a molting season. If that is the case, I want you to stand up right now. You feel like you've gone through a molting season. And so, Lord, I pray for strength. I break off discouragement, but I'm, I just want to release right now that the Father is proud of your yes, that you have stewarded, that you have stayed on your assignment, that you have stayed on the wall, even when you felt like circumstances or your energy levels or a number, a list of excuses of, oh, man, maybe I need to get off the wall. I don't feel good. I'm losing feathers, that you would be reminded this is just a season and this is a part of the process. Don't run from it. Embrace it. Learn to be present in it and be encouraged that it is only a season and that you're going to be even stronger if you say yes to the season. And so, Lord, I pray for encouragement for those that have been in a molting season in the prophetic. And I pray, Lord, for the school of the Spirit, that they would begin to learn about the nature of God. They would begin to learn about the ways of God. They would begin to learn how they hear and process what God is saying and doing, that they wouldn't look and cringe, but they would get excited. They would become curious. They would begin to lean in to what the Lord has been doing over the last few years. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, that there's maturity coming on those that are standing. How precious it is to step into maturity. So, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that these ones are going to steward their assignments. Lord, that they would actually feel a sense of strength and renewal. Renewal, renewal, renewal. Lord, that you would renew their strength as they just get planted on your wings. Being right under your wings. Lord, renew their strength. Amen. All right, you can sit down. Jesus. Lord, just wreck us. Well, I walked into the church tonight, and I just heard the Lord say, change is in the air. Change is in the air. So we're going to do a prophetic act. I know that a lot of guys probably don't have any change in their pockets. So I know a lot of, you know, moms and, 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 you know, people have some maybe some coins. But I feel like we need to do a prophetic act. And if you could get out a couple coins, maybe you could share some coins. Uh, I know that a lot of people don't have that many coins anymore. But I feel like we need to do a prophetic act and declare over Australia, over your lives, over Liberty, over Gosford, change is in the air. Yes, I love this. Change is in the air. So if someone needs a coin, just raise their hand. There's a couple people over here. And, uh, you know, we're, gonna, we're going to... Throw change in the air. Can you make sure not to chuck it at someone's head? Let's not make this a healing service, you know, like. And, uh, 
And then, you know, uh, that would be really good for the cleanup team. Maybe we could, you know, clean this up, you know, like a couple people grab. Maybe the kids, let's send the kids out and they could grab the coins. They would love to clean that up, I bet. But anyways, this is what we're going to do. We're doing this as a prophetic act that changes in the air. That breakthrough is here over Australia. And we're going to throw out change, and then we're going to dance on change. Because it, I feel like you guys have been in transition, and I just want to decree that transition is at the end. That, but it's important. Transition is beautiful. There's nutrients in transition. You know, everyone loves the glory, but no one likes the two. Glory to glory. And transition is a bridge. Transition, you know, the, the Israelites were in transition. God cares about transition. I remember uh, watching a sunset on my back porch over Mount Lassen where I live. And I'm watching a sunset and God says to me, Chad, how beautiful are sunsets? Like, what have you done for a sunset or a sunrise? Like, well, I've, I've made reservations at, at restaurants at the beach for Julie and I three months in advance and made sure that, you know, I looked up when the sunset was going to be and do I have the best seat for the sunset? Or I woke up at, you know, two hours before the sunrise and hiked up a mountain and watched the sunrise. Like, and the Lord says, isn't it interesting that the most beautiful times of a 24-hour cycle is day turning to night and night turning to day that it's transition are the most beautiful times of a 24-hour cycle. Transition should be the most beautiful times in our life that you might feel like you're in a desert season. You might feel like you're molting, but you have to understand that the flash floods, the greatest rain, the greatest outpourings happen in the desert. There's nutrients that God wants to give us in transition. But we celebrate change. That change, there's a breaker anointing, and that we begin to celebrate, we begin to worship, we begin to dance. That change is here. So go ahead and stand up. I think everyone's got a coin. Does anyone have an extra coin that I could have? Okay, perfect. Wow, that's a big one. That's, that's heavy. Okay. <laughs> okay, are you guys ready? Okay, remember, don't, don't throw this like at somebody. Throw it up in the air. Don't, be, don't put any holes in the ceiling. <laughs> Some of you guys are pretty strong. Some of you have that look in, in your eye that's making me a little nervous, but also a little excited. Here we go. So on the count of three, we are declaring over Australia, over Gosford, over this region, over our lives, change is in the air, and that we are dancing on change. So here we go. One, two, three. Jesus! Yeah! Change is in the air! Yes! Worship Jesus! That's right! Turn it up! Turn it up! There we go!
All right. Let's do it one more shout. One, two, three. Jesus! All righty. Grab your seat. Grab some change. Woo. Well, that was awesome. Dancers who dance upon injustice. Wow. I'm a little out of shape for dancing, I guess. Need to bring my A game. Whew. That was awesome. Wow. Man, we're having a party. <laughs> Jesus, that was awesome. What'd you do at church tonight? Well, we danced on change. You know. Oh, man. Jesus. So I just want to lean into uh, this deal, and I feel like that this is going to be a healing service over in this, in, in this next little time. And uh, I'm going to talk about communion in a second, and we're going to just lean into the blood of Jesus just wrecking us. And, uh, and uh, I'm just going to share a couple different things, but I feel like, too, that I shared this morning about the God of hope invading and just seeing the Lord come with a mental health healing wave. And I shared in, in 2020 when I was here one night, I talked about my uh, car accident. And, you know, some of you might not have been there, but I was in a, a major car accident in 2018 in October and uh, I flipped my forerunner five times. Uh, I was ministering in the Central Coast, and I was about a good five hours away from Reading, and I was meeting Will Hart and Heidi Baker at 9 a.m., and so I, I woke up, Bay Area traffic in San Francisco is pretty bad traffic, and so I didn't want to get stuck in traffic, so I woke up at 3 a.m. And uh, after ministering the night before, and I had a forerunner, and so I drove through the Bay Area traffic, and once you get to this place called Vacaville, you take Highway 5 up to Reading, and there's never traffic there. So I knew that I could sleep in the back of my Forerunner for an hour if I left, you know, an hour or so earlier than the meeting that I needed to get back to Reading. So I slept in my Forerunner at like 6 a.m., woke up at 7, jump in there, and about an hour into driving, you know, further, I'd already been four hours of driving at this point. I started falling asleep at the wheel, so I pulled over, and all I had was 15 spare minutes, so I was like, well, I'll just close my eyes and set my alarm. I didn't fall asleep. I was pretty groggy. I forgot to put my seatbelt on. I uh, went on cruise control, 75 miles an hour. That is, you know, our speed limit is, is 70. Thank God we don't have speed traps like you guys have. But typically, a highway patrolman don't pull you over unless you're going like eight miles an hour over the speed limit. So, you know, put it on cruise control at 75 is pretty normal. And I fell asleep at the wheel, and I woke up doing this with my hands off the wheel, and I'm going towards a concrete barrier. 
and, uh, and I grabbed my steering wheel, and I turned it onto, back onto the road on the highway, Highway 5, and when my tires hit, they, uh, th I, I swerved, and I went, uh, I started rolling. They grabbed on the asphalt, and I started rolling, and, uh, and I felt fingers go across my body, uh, fingers going across my legs, my torso, my chest, my head, and then the forming of a palm, which felt like a cocoon. And uh, I was knocked out, and uh, highway patrolmen were on the other side of the highway, and they watched me flip five times, and they said that I was ejected from the sunroof, and I bounced on Highway 5, and then I was brought back into the car. I came back to consciousness, and uh, I was bleeding. Uh, I was missing my left shoe. Um, uh, and I saw my phone. I grabbed it. The, the, I had a long board in the car, and I had two short boards in the car. And when you roll around with surfboards, they become weapons. And, uh, and so, you know, it was pretty crazy. And I didn't know that I was ejected. And the highway patrolman came to me, and, and I started talking to them. And I, and I uh, had stuff in my mouth, and I thought it was my teeth. I thought I knocked teeth out. And I pulled out five rocks out of, out of my mouth. And uh, meaning I was on Highway 5 just doing this. So my whole face, I mean, I have, uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a tweener. They call us tweeners, those that were born in 78 through 82. So I'm an 81 baby. I'm 41 years old. And, and, uh, and you know, the millennial inside of me did a selfie right, right after this whole deal. And if you, you know, look on my Instagram or whatever, you'll see a head bandage and the highway patrolman going, what are you doing with your phone? And, uh, and I'm like, hey, I'm Chad. This is my forerunner gone, you know, and the forerunner's totaled. Uh, can't drive it anymore. And, uh, but I felt the hand of God. When I was knocked out, I encountered one of my angels. He was really far away. He walked very uh, slowly but confidently towards me, and the moment he got a couple of feet away from me, he smiled, and I came back to consciousness. And, and uh, when I was in the ambulance, I heard the Lord say, this is a reset season for you. And I knew exactly what that meant, that this is a, a Selah season, that this was going to be a sabbatical time, and that I laid, I just knew that I needed to lay down everything. And I talked about trust. And I talked about this morning about Bill and teaching me what trust looks like. And, you know, just another, you know, deal is I went through a pretty crazy season of many years. 2015, uh, well, really the, the fall or the September, you know, so that's your guys' spring. Uh, it, uh, September of 2014, I lost my grandma, who was a spiritual mentor to me. She taught me how to fly in the spirit when I was four years old. She's a charismatic Catholic. She would do beatings with Catherine Coleman in the, in the 70s and, you know, it, the number of stories. But she was a big spiritual, you know, grandma and, and my natural grandma. And, uh, you know, this was before FaceTime, Zoom, Skype. And I remember in 1991, my grandma would call me and said, oh, I was flying in the spirit, and I was praying for you all night long, and, and uh, I know you're wearing a, a yellow shirt and a, a blue baseball cap right now, and God is saying this and this and this, and there was no Zoom. There was no, you know, FaceTime. Like, I'm like, Grandma, 
knows, I mean, she's in Reno, Nevada, and I'm in Southern California, and we're talking on a landline. You know, I'm like, okay, you know, that that's was my upbringing with her, and and so, you know, it was, a, it, was a, it was really hard that I lost my grandma so suddenly and then ended up being the beginning of the season of the next month I dislocated my knee. Uh, the next month my little girl was born, which was amazing, but also can be a little bit of a stressor when you have your firstborn and you've got a dislocated knee and you're grieving your grandma. And then, you know, it just I got barraged where there were seven deaths. Uh, there was a lady that stole money from Julie and I, uh, a lot of money. Um, uh, there was just a number of things that happened. I, I had hernia surgery. I had clavicle surgery. I had multiple surgeries. And, uh, and then in 2017, my, uh, Julie and I, we had a miscarriage, June 1st, 2017. And I was actually at a conference with Heidi Baker and Will Hart and Jake Hamilton. And I, I was in the green room FaceTiming with Julia and my mom at the hospital where the doctor is telling us and confirming this is a miscarriage. And, uh, and here's the deal. I had one of the arrows last night about restoration. And that was one of the closest grenades to me that I, I it pretty, it wrecked me where losing a son. You know, I, I really, you know, I got pretty poor advice from somebody that said I needed to get angry with God and, 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 you know, anyways, I did, and I actually almost felt like I lost my mind, that uh, I, I, was, I was away, obviously, at the conference, and I'm at the airport, and I couldn't stop crying and laughing at the same time, and they questioned me of, I don't know if you should be flying, and you don't seem to be in your right mind, and I'm like, I just lost my son, and I need to get home to my daughter and my wife, and so, you know, it was, uh, it was a pretty crazy season, and I remember, you know, like going through that in particular where Julia and my mom and a few others were like, hey, I think you need to go see a doctor. You're not doing so good. And so I went right to the doctor, and, and he's like, well, what's going on? I tell him what's going on. I go, oh, we need to put you on Prozac, antidepressants. And, you know, I really prayed about it. There is no shame for antidepressants, but I saw that as a last-ditch effort that I'm going to continue to build this well of peace, this well of hope, and begin, you know, just to go after seeking the Lord and doing other things in, in the natural, like taking St. John's Ward and educating yourself and exercising, all that, you know, stuff that you need to do to, to break off mental health issues. And so what's amazing is we got pregnant pretty close after the miscarriage, and David, our son, was due on June 1st, 2018, the one-year anniversary of our miscarriage. That's the God of restoration. And David was born June 4th, which is my uncle David, my great-uncle David, who was an inventor and this whole deal. That was his birthday. So, you know, that was my, uh, I had a dream of our son that we had a miscarriage, and his name was Kavika, and he was going to carry a worship anointing, a worship, you know, deal. And so that is, uh, Kavika is David in Hawaiian. So I feel like David is our restoration baby and carrying, you know, a, a few different anointings, just like me where I'm named after my uncle Chad, who was killed in a car accident. And it's interesting that I almost died in a car accident. 
And I'm also named after Michael, my older brother, who died at a stillborn birth. And so, you know, God loves restoration. But I'm just trying to paint a picture and give you an understanding of the circumstances that when I had my car accident, it wasn't just the car accident. It was, you know, this, I had severe PTSD from the car accident. I went and did uh, uh, tests on my brain and, and cortisol levels. I had a very serious head injury, and so I had a pretty serious concussion. But I was having night terrors. I was having all kinds of different things that is not normal for me. And so I'm like, okay, I need to go check this out. And they say, wow, your cortisol levels are stuck. They're jacked. Like, you are equivalent to someone that went into war, that, that you've seen, you know, like war trauma. So I was like, all right, well, then I'm going to kill this giant. And it's intriguing to me where, you know, when I would first come to my community and I would say, hey, guys, I'm going through it. I've got night terrors. I've got all this weird stuff. And then they would pray for me. And then, you know, I might see them a couple weeks later or some of them might even be a month later. And I, you know, would ask them again, hey, can you pray for me? And sometimes I was met with, you're still dealing with that? You're Chad Deadman. You've seen cancer healed. You've seen blind eyes open. You've seen all these different things with God. Why are you still dealing with that? And we need to understand that vulnerability is a place of strength. And it's important that when people are vulnerable, that we walk alongside them. You know, sometimes when you go through trauma, 80% of your community could run from the hills, run for the hills, but 20% get closer. And how important it was to just have people say, Chad, I will go on the journey with you. And so I began to discover many arrows where the Lord said, Chad, I want you to meditate on me two hours in the morning that you would encounter me as the Prince of Peace. You would encounter me as the God of hope. It's really intriguing that they have found that sleep deprivation is the number one trigger for mental health issues. And there has been such an attack, especially in Western culture. There's a number of reasons. We've gotten way busier. We have technology where that will actually stimulate you if you're, you know, reading on your Kindle, you know, all this different stuff. Looking at a computer screen, a phone screen, it actually, you know, releases like adrenaline and releases dopamine and it keeps you awake. But that's not just one of the, you know, that's just one of the many things of there feels like there's been an attack at, uh, in the night season over people. And it's, and it's really interesting. When you go through trauma, you can't sleep. And then, and then when you get sleep deprived, it's compounded and it, and it begins like you can't sleep. You get in this crazy cycle. But the big thing is, is the enemy wants to isolate us. And that at night, no one's awake. Even more, you feel like you're alone. But I learned that, okay, I need to begin to sleep how important that is, and understand that rest is a manifestation of peace. And how, like Jesus, when he was in the boat in the midst of the storm, 
he always was doing what the father was doing. And, 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 you know, the disciples wake him up and they, you know, accuse him of, do you even care if we die, which is a crazy accusation to the savior of the world. And then he says, peace, be still to the storm. But, you know, I think the bigger deal was he always was doing what the father was doing. And I think he was looking at his disciples going, guys, you don't know you could sleep in the midst of a storm. You know, sometimes the enemy is coming in and he's actually wanting the attention from you to stir you up and that you go into spiritual warfare, but that you learn to rest. Oh, Jesus. Let me just hit on that a little bit more. It's important that our prayer assignments don't become our identity. That... We have to be able to learn to co-labor with him, to do our part of stewarding and releasing the assignment, but then walking away and saying, all right, Daddy, you carry it out. That's where we begin to strive if we can't rest and let the Father take it from there. When the enemy will be poking you, saying, oh, no, it's not done. Oh, look, all the other crazy stuff that's happening. And it's an invitation to learn to strive and to, to, to totally sabotage peace in your life. It's trust, trusting the Father. And the enemy, don't let the enemy bait you into that place. But the Father and Jesus, like, the, he, they're going to teach us. We've all gone through a storm over the last couple years, and I feel like there's been a, a corporate grace in the church to learn how to rest in the midst of the storm, to have peace in the midst of the storm, that there's been such a demand of millennials and Gen Zers of, I want understanding. I want that you need to prove to me that, that, that Jonah was not a metaphor. Who wrote Genesis? And how can, where they are deconstructing and we are trying to give a generation understanding when that's not what God is giving. He's giving peace that surpasses understanding. And we have a whole generation dealing with anxiety at a level that we have never seen. That Time Magazine in America, they did a study for us Americans in 2019, so this is before COVID, that we uh, dipped in our life expectancy as a nation for the first time in over 60 years. And they say the two leading reasons is drug overdose that I talked about this morning, but also suicide among 14-year-olds to 30-year-olds. Normally, the top demographic of suicide is men in their late 40s into their, their 40s and their 50s. We have dipped in our country because of this mental health onslaught from the enemy. But you have to understand, like I shared this morning, where the enemy comes in like a flood, God always releases an anointing to break the yoke of the enemy. And that, that we move in that opposite spirit that there's a grace to grab a hold of, there's revelation to grab a hold of, to, to break anxiety, to break depression, to break suicide, hopelessness, that we begin to encounter the God of hope. 
So I remember a month into this season, and I just want to decree, like I had started out on Saturday, God gives you many arrows, many arrows of breakthrough. You are not limited. You are not restricted because you're in him. So a month into this, I'm in the prayer chapel at Bethel, and, and the Holy Spirit comes to me and says, I want to take you on an adventure. And then I end up going to Yosemite, which is in central California, and it's beautiful there, and it's, you know, just, it's, it's, it's amazing. And I'm there, and then the Holy Spirit brings an art easel, and it says it's time to do art again. Now, I wrote a book called The Risk Factor in 2010 with my dad, and me taking risk, I love taking risk. It's something that I have cultivated in my life. So me jumping on a parked car and preaching the gospel or going to somebody in a grocery store and saying, can I pray for you? That's not a big risk anymore because I've been able to conquer those giants and see that this is a sweet spot in my life. But one place that can terrify me is art. So my grandma was a professional artist. She used to take me on art tours and galleries that she would show her, her, her pieces at when I was six and seven years old. My mom is this amazing artist that she was the creative arts pastor at, at Bethel for two decades. And I had some teachers growing up that were pretty critical so I begin to sabotage. I begin to agree with that spirit of criticism. To the point when I was in high school, I took high school ceramics and I flunked. You have to have some serious self-sabotage. In America, it's very easy, like, you know, to, to, to get a C in, in, in ceramics. And I'm 30, I was 35, 30, yeah, I was 35 years old when this was happening. No, I was 36. There you go. And so I began to enroll into art classes. And I would be in the art class, and I'd be with younger people, and I would fight this voice of, you don't belong here, it's too late. And I would just press it, and then I get lost in art. And I found wholeness and healing there that I didn't find in other places. It was a big arrow for me. And it's interesting that that was one of my inheritances. That was something that God was giving me in my childhood and down my family line, and I had not picked up for over 25 years. And I'm telling you, there's some of you, you are dealing with trauma, and the breakthrough is from your family line or stuff that God gave you in your childhood. So, yeah, I would do counseling. I would do this thing called uh, EMDR. I would, uh, you know, do journaling. I would spend time in the prayer chapel. I'd be reading the word and, and studying about, you know, like reading Brene Brown books and books like The Body Keeps the Score and just, just you know, growing in this understanding of how to connect to my soul, to have my soul be connected to my spirit and how my spirit, soul, and body are connected. And that there is no shame, there is no condemnation, 
First of all, sometimes the hardest person to forgive is yourself. And I made a poor decision by not having my seatbelt on where I had a four-month-old and a three-year-old, and I made a poor decision that it could have cost my kids their natural dad. So I had to forgive myself. And I love it when you forgive yourself and it's done, people try to put shame on you, like, like I would be doing stretches in the airport and all that stuff, and they're like, oh, young man, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I was in this crazy car accident, and I flipped five times, and I was ejected from the sunroof. And they're like, oh, you didn't have your seatbelt on, huh? I bet you learned your lesson. Like, you know, like, you know, yes, that's a lot of fun. But it's good because I've already taken care of it. I've already done the work of forgiving myself. You guys doing okay? God's given you arrows. Jesus. So we're going to take communion here in a second, but, you know, it's been a game changer for us in doing these prayer assignments. Well, let me just hit on one more thing with this mental health healing wave. You know, there's a, there's a lot of, you, you'll, you'll see generations react from previous generations. And, you know, baby boomers, this is a generalized statement, but baby boomers, they, they, they were amazing in their work ethic. You know, like my parents and then my grandparents, like, we don't call in for, you know, work sick. We crawl in. You know, and then there's the, we don't talk about our marriage problems. You know, so there would be sometimes a deficit of being vulnerable. But they were able to press through, which was so cool. That's an inheritance for us. But you have millennials, and they started going on this wholehearted journey where then they began to be pretty extreme where, oh, I can't help others until I get whole, which would be one of the biggest lies. It's a kingdom principle. You know, it's, it's in healing. Uh, somebody will have, you know, like disc issues in their back, and I'm praying for them weekly. And then it might be a, a certain point in my journey of contending for their healing where I'll ask them, hey, have you prayed for other people with the same condition? And they'll sometimes look at me like, wait, wait, no, 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 I'm the one in need. And I'm like, oh, bingo, I think we just found one of the roots. And then it's amazing to watch the response when they do contend for other people with their, you know, condition, and that person gets healed. Either they begin to celebrate, they begin to have empathy, they begin to have understanding. You couldn't do that before. You're touching your toes. I know if I were to touch my toe, I'd be in, like, sh like, sharp pain, like, oh, thank you, Jesus. And they're celebrating their breakthrough, understanding, like, the pain that they were once in which is total open door for now for them to receive their healing. Or they get angry with God, offended with God. Why you touch them and not me? But it's important that we contend for others, that we serve others, 
and I shared this video, you know, this amazing video of taking Steve out surfing. Well, you have to understand a little bit more of that backstory is in August 2018, I uh, rented out Calvary Chapel, which is the birthplace of the Jesus movement. And I have been going after redigging the wells of the Jesus movement for a long time. And I'm, it's exciting. And uh, I brought in Heidi Baker. We did a Friday night catch the wave uh, night at Calvary. And uh, that was in August. And then I'm in my accident in October. And then in December, this uh, the, the wife, Lori, contacts my wife, who's a realtor, and says, I want to buy a house, an investment house in Reading, and I'm going to come up there and show me some houses, but I want to have a meal with you guys. And then, you know, I'm like dealing with sensitive to light, you know, I've got this brain deal and all this stuff, and, and I'm just a little out of it, and I've got like a migraine, and she takes us out, and she says, hey, when I was at that meeting in, in August, I had my first ever open vision, and I saw you taking out my husband, Steve, and she begins to explain what happened with Steve, and, and all I could think of is I could have been in this guy's situation. I could have easily had a brain injury, and I hope to God, because I'm a surfer, I will have friends. If I'm still breathing, I'm still alive, and I'm still a surfer, so I hope I have some friends that strap me to a surfboard and push me into waves. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. And this compassion thing, but I looked at her, and I'm like, there's no way I could do this right now. But I said, when I am better, I will take him surfing. Well, then I go on my journey I'm getting breakthrough, night terrors end after a good, you know, few months, and I begin to get traction, and, you know, all the anxiety is lifting, and it's really interesting that, you know, I, I totaled my car, and this missionary family gave me a car in L.A., and so I had to jump on a plane for one hour, and I had a full-on panic attack. I don't have those. Like, this my 20s were amazing. My early 30s were amazing. I didn't experience any of this stuff. And I had near-death experiences. Me and Roland Baker almost died in a plane crash. Uh, I was, you know, jumped by five guys in South Africa. I mean, I could go on and on about different crazy stuff that's happened. And I didn't have much trauma or, like, you know, like anxiety or, you know, panic and stuff. I was connected to the God of hope. And that's another thing is I was rich in hope. And I didn't realize how valuable it was until I lost it. And I could feel this, this spirit trying to get me to become familiar, and it was foreboding. Oh, nothing bad's happened in a few months. I haven't had surgery. There hasn't been a death. You have to understand, we dealt with seven deaths in only three years. One of them being a miscarriage. So this foreboding thing, and it was so foreign to me, and I'm so thankful that I had decades of equity, of hope, and connection where there was not foreboding going on. And I could just feel it trying to become familiar, and I'm like, no. But it's crazy when you feel like you're in trauma and you're in quicksand, and the more you move, the deeper you get. But you have to break that off and say, all right, how do I be present in my pain? How do I find God in my pain but not get stuck in my pain? Jesus, we thank you for being the God of hope. We thank you, Lord, for 
establishing hope in our lives. Wherever hope has weighed, wherever hope has been deferred and made us heart sick, that there would be a healing service right now, that you would heal hearts, that you would begin to connect us to the desires that you have authored. Jesus. So I go through this journey and I get this, I'm on the plane and I have an anxiety attack and I end up throwing up. I've never used the, the barf bag before. And what's intriguing with this is I have a call on my life to go around the world, that I've flown over a million miles. And it's interesting that the enemy would attack me in one of the places that I have authority. So I was like, game on. So I just was, you know, don't despise the day of small beginnings. And sometimes when you're on the journey of healing and wholeness, that you take two steps forward and sometimes one step back. And the enemy wants you to be consumed and condemned and full of shame for taking that step back. But if you would get curious... If you would begin to be like, okay, inquire of the Lord, learn how to connect with God, when you take that step back, and then you begin to learn that it isn't a place of shutting down. It isn't a place of condemnation. So fast forward into September of 2019, it just so happened I was in Southern California, and Lori and Steve were in Southern California, and I took Steve, which is Steve and Lori, not the five sons, in September of 2019. And I remember getting three waves and putting him, you know, helping him get into the van, and they take off, and I'm just looking at the ground, and I suddenly remember the conversation with Lori where I said, when I am better, I'll take him surfing. And it was this aha moment of, I guess I'm better. And I'm telling you, some of you that feel stuck, you won't know that you're whole until you help someone else that is dealing with trauma. It will unstick you. It will release a breaker anointing in your own life. But I want us just to lean in to the blood of Jesus, that the blood of Jesus heals, but also it's this invitation of oneness and connection that Jesus prayed for us in John 17. God, make them one as you and I are one. See, the deal is, is when you ask Jesus into your heart, you are one with the Father. There's nothing more that you need to do but receive and live in a reality that you are one, that you are in this place of communion with the Father. And the Lord is raising up beers. The deal is, is beers and doers do stuff, but from completely different origin points. That you still do, you still have fruit, you have signs and wonders that follow your, your life, but it's from a place of 
being one with the Father that gives us access by the blood of Jesus. And we've been on these prayer assignments, and we've been taking communion, every prayer assignment, and we always take a little bit of the blood, and we'll pour it out into the land. We'll pour it out in the ocean, knowing that when he died and he sacrificed his life, he restored all things. That his blood covering the land heals the land. But it also heals you. So I'm just going to read this over you. And then we're going to pass out communion and we're just going to have a time of God crashing in. This is Hebrews 10. We'll go with verse 10. By this we... By this will we have sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, offer, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of the Father waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart, and on their mind I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now there is forgiveness of these things. There is no longer any offering for sin. Verse 19. This is the big one. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Jesus. We have access because of his sacrifice for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of the Lord. And that's the deal. The Father wants to be one with us. So he sent his son so that we could be sprinkled with his blood that we have access to the holy of holies. That we're covered white as snow. And you have to watch, like I talked about, with extremes. Millennials saying, oh, I can't help anyone. I, I need more counseling. I need, I'm on spiritual timeout, whatever it may be. But there's extremes. There's this extreme in, in, in the church of, you know, hyper grace. Oh, you know, I, God's already forgiven me. I can live with my, my boyfriend, my girlfriend. I could, you know... I have a blank check. He's forgiven me. You know, people preaching, there is no hell. 
got a little more intense in here. The deal is, is that is so secondary that we cannot be, first of all, God is consistent. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, you know, he invited free will to angels one time. You have a decision to make. You could either go with Lucifer or you could stay with me. I didn't realize we are going to go into a hell talk, but let's do it. He's consistent. That is free will. That's the one of the parts that you cannot reconcile and say there is no hell. We have free will. We choose to be in relationship with God. We choose to be in covenant with God. And there's consequences when we choose not to be in relationship. But here's the deal. We were not supposed to preach the gospel as a get-out-of-jail-free card. We're not supposed to preach the gospel with manipulation and fear of, oh, if you die tonight, where are you going to go, friend? No, no, no. We shouldn't be, you know, using all of our energy and time trying to articulate the boundary line of the outer courts to the wilderness. We should be modeling a gospel that invites us to live in the holy of holies, that that is the primary reason for Jesus dying, that we don't have eternity starting when we die. We get eternity starting right now, right here, to be one with our dad. And that if we model that reality to a world, there won't be a conversation of, oh, am I going to hell? Am I not going to hell? I'm in heaven. I'm one with the Father. That's what we're called a model. This is a lifestyle of living in the holy of holies. If you see me, you see the Father. That will be one of the greatest waves of the harvest and evangelism ever. When we can say with confidence to our neighbors, our family, our community, oh, if you like hanging out with me, if you feel safe with me, if you feel joy with me, oh, you're going to love hanging out with my dad. This is evangelism. This is how Jesus did evangelism. I'm one. So God, make them one as you and I have been one. But that is the reality. It's not works. But you have to understand it. You have to understand that there has to be a lifestyle of intentionality. It isn't religion. It isn't works. There has to be intentionality. That's why we take communion to do this in remembrance of him that he made covenant with us. And so we have to begin to understand we live our life with intentionality that we learn that how to be one with the Father. So let's pass out the communion. And I want us to take it communion from this place of, Lord, I'm thankful that you gave your life so that I could live in the holy of holies. Lord, I'm thankful that you gave your life so that I could find it and have life more abundantly. That with your blood, with your love, it breaks off all fear and timidity. That he releases love, power, and a sound mind. So as we take your blood, as we take your body, Lord, I pray for those that are 
in this room or or there might be people you know, family members, friends that are struggling with depression. That his blood is sufficient. That the Lord is releasing an anointing for a mental health healing wave. That he's healing our spirit, soul, and body. That when we become a new creation, it's our spirit, soul, and body that are redeemed. So Lord, those that are dealing with physical issues. Lord, that maybe you have a, a tumor or a cyst, cancer, that as we take your blood, that there's healing. That arthritis bows to Jesus. Sleep deprivation bows to Jesus. Lord, that we would begin to connect to the Prince of Peace. But Lord, let us come in to your courts and step into the Holy of Holies, sprinkled with your blood. So go ahead and just take the body. begin to connect with Jesus right now. Begin to just thank him for his sacrifice. Lord, we just thank you. By your stripes, we are healed. Lord, there's healing in your sacrifice. There's wholeness in your sacrifice. Lord, that anyone here dealing with depression, isolation, Lord, that this covenant with you brings connection, brings access, that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. And, Lord, we just thank you that when we get grafted into your bloodline, as our older brother, we get grafted into a spiritual family. And, Lord, I celebrate this family. Lord, that we would be reminded that we have brothers and sisters. We have a cloud of witnesses cheering us on. Lord, that we are connected. So, Lord, we do this in remembrance of you and your sacrifice. Lord, we are so thankful. Go ahead and just partake of his body. Lord, we just take your blood. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, in the spirit. We are covered by your blood. Lord, that this gives us access. 
I just saw us all with, uh, I've been going to these festivals and interceding and, and dealing. You could sometimes see people with the all-access badge. Lord, it's your blood that gives us the all-access badge. That we are connected to you, Daddy. Father, that this was your desire all along with man. To walk with you in the cool of the day. So, Lord, I pray that we would learn a life of being. That we are one with you, Father. That when we say yes to this covenant, Lord, that you would reveal what it looks like to be intentional. That would bring that reality that we're one with you. And Lord, as we take your blood, the voice of the enemy would be squashed. That we would live in this place of victory. That we are rooted and grounded in you, Jesus. That we're seated in heavenly places with you, Christ Jesus. And that you are at the right hand of your Father. And so we are in you and you are in us. And so we are seated at your right hand, Daddy. So Lord, let us be reminded, let us be encouraged that we have access to you. And so, Lord, we thank you that fear is being eradicated and that your love is being poured out, that your power is being poured out, and that you are releasing a sound mind. And we speak to Australians that you would come into a place of encounter with your love, with your power. And Lord, that there would be a mental health healing wave where there has been an attack on the mind. Lord, those that are dealing with Alzheimer's, dementia, that healing would set in. And I feel like there's some people in here that you had a, a mom or a dad dealing with dementia or you have a family member dealing with dementia and there is a root of fear that is bombarding you that, oh no, could that happen to me? Lord, right now, release a sound mind. Lord, that we would not agree with the accuser. We would not agree with confusion. That we would be confident in your blood. We would be confident that your blood is sufficient. But Lord, let this be the beginning. Let this be the place where we will see a billion soul harvest come in to the world that you're raising up. Ones that are one with you, Daddy. So, Lord, let there be a revelation, as Paul said, that he prayed for a spirit of revelation of Jesus. 
that we would come into a revelation of the mature man, Jesus, that is the bullseye, the main mandate for apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to let us come into the mature revelation of Jesus. So, Lord, we thank you for access. We thank you for communion that brings communion with you. Lord, that you would restore what was lost and that we would begin to walk with you in the garden in the cool of the day. So, Lord, we thank you for connection. Amen. Take the blood. Just take a moment. Just put your, just go ahead and receive. You can, you could stand. You could come up to the front. You could do, you know, just, I just want to just take a moment right now and for us to lean in and that my prayer is that this would be way bigger than a message. This would be a memorial stone for you that this has been so big for me the last two years where I've been taking communion consistently in this place of just barraging myself with this reality. I'm one with you, Daddy. I say yes to this covenant. And Lord, that, that you would mark me, that there would be moments that point to this reality with you, that I'm one with you. That's right. Come on, every voice, because your voice matters. This is about you and him. It doesn't matter who's next to you. This is your covenant with the King of glory. Lord, we just thank you, Lord. It's your blood. Your blood is sufficient. And I just, we're just going to just sing this a little bit more and we're going to lean in. But I want you to begin to decree what the blood of Jesus is going to do in this country, what the blood of Jesus is going to do for generations, what the blood of Jesus is going to do for your family. Lord, that, that the blood of Jesus being poured out in the school systems, the blood of Jesus being poured out in mental institutions, the blood of Jesus being poured out in our hospitals. Lord, let your blood flow in our land. That there be an awakening to know you, Daddy. Give him a shout. Give him a shout of praise. Give him a shout of praise. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, King of Glory. We worship you. <laughs> wow. Well, if you haven't started drinking yet, it's not too late. It's not too late. We thank you, Lord, that the 
legal age in the spirit to get drunk with you is in the womb. So, Lord, pour out your spirit to the generations. The generations. Woo! Release your joy. Drinky, drinky. Holy Spirit, come as a bartender. We won't be drunk with wine, but be filled with your spirit. Shoo! Breaker anointing. Joy, 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 joy. Joy releases the breakthrough. Woo! Get us really drunk. Take a drink. We pray for refreshing, refreshing, refreshing. Woo! Wow, Jesus. Lord, we just thank you, Lord. Lord, that you're raising up dancers in Australia. Dancers who dance upon injustice. Lord, let there be healing in the land. Healing in the land. Joy, joy, joy. Woo. Laughter is good medicine. The great physician. The great physician is releasing good medicine. Australia, we speak to you. It's time to laugh. With the Spirit of God, it's time to laugh. With the Spirit of God, that the Spirit of God would crash in, the great physician crash in, that there be a healing wave of laughter, a healing wave of joy. Australia, your greatest days are ahead. Let the winds blow. We prophesy to the four winds over this nation. Lord, that we would connect to what you see over Australia, that you see an army. In the valley of dry bones, you see an army. So we prophesy. Four winds, come and blow on this island. The four winds of heaven, resurrection power. Lord, let there be great winds in this season. Resurrection anointing. Those that are on death's doorstep, that they would find life, abundant life. That's right, speak it out. Decree over Australia. Life, life, life. Let the winds of heaven blow. Let the winds of heaven blow. 
blown like a mighty wind. Let's just lean in. There's, there's, there's a break or anointing. And so when you get into a realm like this where it's a thin place, that we would begin to just engage vertically and horizontally. And so, Lord, we come tonight and we just worship you. And we thank you, Lord, that change is in the air. You know, as they're getting ready for this song, I just feel like I need to release this testimony about Ezekiel. I went and prayer paddled San Francisco, the Golden Gate Bridge, and I woke up a week before the prayer assignment, and I heard the voice of God say, Chad, you're in Ezekiel training. And then... The prayer assignment was on Saturday, that Wednesday, you know, four days before. The pastor who I was working with in San Francisco calls me and says, hey, one of our youth committed suicide at the Golden Gate Bridge, and it was the two-year anniversary of his older brother committing suicide. And I did research to find out thousands of people have committed suicide at the Golden Gate Bridge, meaning there's a principality that's wooing people with despair and hopelessness. This is where you come geographically to end your life. So I knew that it was important that we take communion and in the book of Ezekiel, as I read, Ezekiel 37 was highlighted to me. And I knew that the Lord was releasing resurrection power. And so the day before the prayer paddle, I went surfing in Santa Cruz, very, very cold, wetsuits, a hood, booties. And I heard the Lord say, like Ezekiel, I'm teaching you, Chad. I'm teaching the church how to move in the opposite spirit. So I want you to paddle out with your board shorts, not a wetsuit, and I only want you to catch party waves. So thank God he, spent, he sends us out in twos. So I looked at my buddy Nico, and I'm like, hey, I think we're supposed to surf with our board shorts. And to catch waves as a surfer, we're sometimes pretty selfish that we tell people, get off our wave. And the God's saying, move in the opposite spirit. Have people jump on the wave with you. And so we were asking people to jump on the waves. We're out there surfing with no wetsuit on. The sky paddles over to me and goes, hey, thanks for bringing the party vibes out here. Before you paddled out, these two guys were arguing, using bad language. One guy swung on the other, and we have all these teenagers here, and you're bringing party vibes. What is he saying? He's saying, you're changing the atmosphere, moving in the opposite spirit, and my buddy goes, oh, party vibes. The reason why we have party vibes is Jesus lives inside of us. He had more joy than his companions. And he goes, amen, I want to go to that church. And I go, look at him. I'm like, well, we're at church. I put my hands on him. And I'm like, let him experience the party vibes of Jesus. And then a wave came. And I'm like, oh, this is our wave. And we started catching waves. And then the next day, the prayer assignment, we are paddling. And there's this headwind coming against us. And we had to get on our knees, and I call those the paddles of humility. So we're on our knees paddling, and we get under the Golden Gate Bridge, and then the, we begin to prophesy 
over those that are here to end their life, that, that God would establish John 10.10 10 over the bridge, that people would discover abundant life with Jesus, that he gave his life so that we could find it. But suddenly the winds change, and I could feel the wind still at my face, but at my side and my back, and I tell my team, the four winds of heaven are here. That's prophesy as Ezekiel did, that here's the deal. Americans and Australians, when you hear about someone, oh, they're dealing with depression, they attempted suicide, that's a dead person walking. It's only a matter of time before they end their life. That person's dealing with addiction, oh no, they're, they're going to end their life, that's a dead person walking. That's the valley of dry bones. And God is asking, like he did Ezekiel, to move in the opposite spirit, to see what the Father sees, that the world might see dead people walking, but God sees an army that those that will be delivered out of suicide, a drug addiction, that they'll be the next generation of Lonnie Frisbees that carry an anointing to break the yoke of the enemy. So the next day on Sunday I'm preaching, and I'm leaving, ministering to people, praying for people, and I see this teenager getting ministered to, and my compassion thing just starts going off the radar, and I go pray for him, and, I, and I, he's a teenager, and I see him as a nine-year-old boy. He was 13 at the time. I see him as a nine-year-old boy, and, and I saw the father wooing him to come and sit on his lap. And just to hold them, and that the Lord was healing abandonment. And I started telling him this, and he starts wailing and crying and weeping. And I come to find out that his father was deported by ICE. He was a Mexican citizen there in our country illegally, and they took his dad. So this abandonment of losing his father, the father in heaven, is healing. And I go, hey, have you ever asked Jesus to be your best friend? Have you ever asked him to be your Lord and Savior? And he goes, no. And I said, oh, let me lead you to Jesus. What is your name? Oh, my name is Ezekiel. You know you're in Ezekiel trading when Ezekiel is getting saved, healed, and delivered. So, Lord, we release this anointing that Ezekiel was carrying, that you're teaching us, the bride of Christ, how to move in the opposite spirit, how to release the four winds of heaven over our region, over our country. So we come into agreement because one gives 1,000 to flight, two gives 10,000 to flight. What happens with the hundreds of us coming into agreement, speaking life, saying, I see what you see, Daddy. I I see an army. I see an army in Australia. So let's just go after God as we end the night. Lord, we just thank you for marking moments. We thank you, Lord, for moments getting lost in your presence. Lord, that this is the key of David. That you're raising up a David generation that transcends age and gender and race. A generation who seeks your face. A generation who ascends the hill of the Lord with clean hands and a pure heart. 
So, Lord, we just thank you. We just come before you and with gratitude and thanksgiving. We just thank you, Lord, for your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for your rain. And, Lord, like Zephaniah, in the time of rain, we cry out for rain. Lord, as you have saturated this land in the last three years with rain, Lord, let there be another rain of your spirit. But, Lord, we're thankful that you are marking us in this room for your presence. Lord, that this is why I'm alive. And so, Lord, go deep. Lord, that there would be a deepening in our spirits. Lord, that you would enlarge our capacity. You would enlarge our tent pegs. Lord, that we love you because you first loved us. And so, Lord, your love is crashing in causing an enlargement of our capacity to love you back. So, Lord, the deep parts of me are crying out for the deep parts of you. So, mark us. Let there be seeds planted deep into the soil of my heart. Lord, that I come before you not as a minister, not as a leader, but someone who is desperate for your presence. Lord, it is my greatest heart cry is to know you. And it's in these moments you reveal yourself. We thank you, Lord, the river. Your river flows in the low places, so lower still. We jump in head first, completely immersed in your presence. Lower still, that it's in this river, planet. The oaks of righteousness, the leaves for the healing of the nations, the river that flows from your throne room, deeper still, deeper still. And I feel like some of you, you've been digging your personal well, crying out for God, I want to go deeper. And I see you digging away, and you've hit granite. And the shovel that God's given you, the pickaxe that God has given you, the tools that he has given to you to cultivate your own well, they're broken on the hard soil, on the granite. And as you cry out to him, God, I want to go deeper. 
How deep, how wide, how long is your love? Suddenly, suddenly, I hear the backing of heavy equipment. God releasing the power tools, the jackhammer that breaks through the heart that he's breaking through, taking us deeper, deeper in him. So, Lord, release the breaker anointing. Release the power tools that you would break through. That I declare like Isaiah, behold, I do a new thing. Behold, I do a new thing. That there is another measure, there is another wave of his love and power. So God, crash it. Deeper still. Deeper still. Deeper still. The river flows in the low places. Deeper still. That you would break through apathy. You would break through compromise. You would break through. Lord, that our gaze is on you. That our gaze is set on you. This one thing. Where all other things fade away. This one thing. My greatest desire that I seek you.